before you quit your job to start your multi-million dollar business that you think you're going to be building, uh, don't would be my advice straight up. If you can't find the time, uh, your spare time over the weekends, mornings, and evenings to focus on a passion project that you want to see through, you'll never do it when you're full-time. Because when you're doing it full-time, your reptile brain kicks in, all your fears and insecurities come up, and you go, oh my gosh, how am I going to pay rent? How am I going to pay my mortgage? How am I going to feed my kids? Uh, and there's no way you can be creative. Your inner voice has been drowned out by the noise around you, but you've always had a deep desire to make a difference. And now you're ready to step into your greatness and develop the identity you need to build towards your ultimate goal. Welcome to the Mindset Horizon Podcast. Making the world a better place by unleashing human potential will help you create your own reality by increasing your self-awareness, cultivating an unstoppable mindset, and finally finding the passion, purpose, and true self so that you can live the life you are always destined to live. Now, welcome your host, a lifelong learner and growth mindset savant, a former architect turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Tibor Notch. What is up, Mindset Nation? Welcome back to the Mindset Horizon podcast. My guest today is Mark LaRousse, who is the founder and chief purpose officer of the Ministry of Purpose and host of the Unconventionalists podcast, who is on a mission to eradicate career misery in the workplace by helping organizations and business leaders clarify their purpose to better lead and inspire their people. Mark believes everyone needs a purpose and that no one should have to be one person at home and another at work. That's why his big, hairy, audacious goal is to create a world where the vast majority of people feel connected to an important mission and feel seen, heard, supported, and appreciated along the way. Thanks to his creative video CV that went viral in 2012, Mark previously served as country manager of the Movember Foundation, where he helped raise 2.8 million euros for men's health and inspired 110,000 fundraisers to take part winning multiple awards along the way. Since then, Mark has worked with pioneering organizations, forward-thinking leaders, and disruptive conferences, including Google, TEDx, Intuit, Inseed, Method, and eCover, L'Oreal, State Street, The Guardian, Samsung, General Assembly, and Virgin Startup. Over the years, Mark has lived and worked in more than 10 countries across four continents leading millennial teams and has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Metro, The Guardian, Shortlist, L, Growth Lab, to name a few. His podcast, The Unconventionalist, has reached 135,000 plus downloads on iTunes across 100 countries and his inspiring videos have been viewed over 1.5 million times on social media. His book, It's Not You, It's Me, is a modus operandi for unfulfilled professionals looking to find more meaningful work, and Mark's TEDx talk is the most watched TEDx Cardiff talk to date. When he is not speaking, Mark is at home enjoying life in London, UK, with his family, where he tries to keep up with his two young children, who keep him on his feet. At the beginning of today's episode, we dive deeper into Mark's personal story and entrepreneurial journey, where you can learn a lot more about Mark's incredible entrepreneurial experiences, his ups and downs, struggles and failures, and successes. In the middle of the episode, we dive deeper into entrepreneurship and finding meaning and purpose in life. Mark shares amazing insights on why people are emotionally disconnected from their work, what is the underlying issue, and he also gives advice for people who want to start their own business. Closer to the end of this episode, we talk about Mark's super amazing podcast, The Unconventionalists, and his future business goals. 
Mark also has an amazing online course on how to start your own podcast from scratch and he decided to create a discount code to give 50% off his course for our listeners. All you have to do is to go to mindsetrizon.com forward slash Mark, that's M-A-R-K, and use the discount code Mindset50, that's Mindset50 at checkout, that's again mindsetrizon.com forward slash Mark, and use the discount code Mindset50 at checkout. If you want to find out more about today's guest and check out the free resources, book recommendations, and detailed show notes, simply head over to our website, mindsetrizon.com forward slash podcast. That's again, mindsetrizon.com forward slash podcast. You can also use the search bar on our website where you can simply type in Mark LaRoust to find the episode's show notes page. And so Mindset Nation, without any further ado, let's welcome today's guest. Hi, Mark, and welcome to the Mindset Horizon podcast. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. Apologies for the sound of my voice. I'm more nasal than usual. Um, uh, you know, that's what happens when you get locked in on week four. I think we're week four now, and uh, you don't get enough fresh air, and you know, my immune system's not being boosted as much as it used to be. So bear with me, people. I don't usually sound like this. I don't know. Yeah. And maybe I'm just sounding, maybe I'm hearing my own voice and it sounds way more weird than you're hearing it. I don't know. Yeah, I can hear you. Good I can hear very well <laughs> and um it's totally okay. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm excited. I just want to say apologies for all the times we had to reschedule because of me. So thank you for your patience. I think it, it's a testimony of your of your resolve and, and of your mindset of you know, if you want to have a guest on the show, you'll do what it takes to get them. So I appreciate you and and I'm honored to spend a bit of time with you and your audience. Yeah, thank you so much, Mark. Yes, I'm chasing people because this is how, <laughs> you know, sometimes it takes one day to get somebody on the show. Sometimes it's a little bit more, but it's totally okay. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's how it is. And I, I like the process and I enjoy uh, connecting with others. So, And so, Mark, you're the founder and chief purpose officer of the Ministry of Purpose and host of the Unconventionalists podcast. And you are well done for pronouncing that. <laughs> it's, it's like the worst name I ever picked. Seriously, the unconventionalist podcast. I'm dyslexic. I can barely pronounce any words with more than two syllables. And so I don't know why the hell I went with the unconventionalist as a name. And I'm very impressed and proud of you because most people get that wrong. <laughs> My own yeah, to be honest with you, I practiced a little bit because I, <laughs> I'm not a native speaker, so I needed to practice unconventionalists a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a tongue twister, right? <laughs> um, hope, hopefully, even people remember it because it's such a weird name, or uh, or people get that it's a weird name, so it must be a, a curious and wonderful adventure to be <laughs> part of it. Yeah, yeah, but I like it and uh, great podcast and we are going to talk about that as well. So you are on, an, on, this, on this mission to eradicate career misery in the workplace by helping organizations mm -hmm. and business leaders clarify their purpose to better lead and inspire yeah. their people. So yeah, we are going to dive deeper into, I guess, purpose. But I wanted to start this conversation with your entrepreneurial journey and I really loved your TEDx talk and the way I actually came across your work was about four years ago, three or four years ago, maybe three, when I was looking for coaching, um, coaching trainings, actually, I came across your website. And at that time, as far as I know, you started your business about four years ago. So at that time, maybe it was different, but um, you can right. maybe tell, tell us a little bit more about your journey because it's a, it's a great one. And 
Yeah, so yeah. it's it's inspiring. <laughs> cool. I don't I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know how long you've got. It's very you've got very kind words. But the the short version is, I think, um, like many people, I mean, I grew up in France, so my surname and that slight tweak of an accent I have comes from the fact that my dad's French. But I, I was born and raised in France, English mum or British mum because she's Welsh and English. Um, and uh, and I kind of grew up in an environment which was very archaic and backwards in terms of dealing with kids with a bit more creativity and a bit more energy and so i used to bounce off the walls and you know if I, I always say this is you know kind of a joking way but had i been born a few years later i would have been heavily medicated and diagnosed as add mm. or something but back then what they used to do is just you know try to punish you and put you in a corner and do all these really weird things um but i always had this ambition to try and create something and do something i, I wasn't quite sure what it was so when i was like you know 14 i used to sell skateboard stuff so i would get i would buy old skateboard stuff and i would um, clean up these shoes, do them up, put some new pair of, of shoelaces and either exchange them for more stuff or sell them on. And, and I kind of did that a little bit. Um, then I'm going to say this now because then it's not going to be cool in a few years, but I sold weed for a while and, wow. uh, you know, it's going to become legal. And right now it's estimated to be a billion dollar industry, but back then it was kind of illegal. So it's a little, it was always a bit cheeky for me to say about it, but I'll, I'll tell you what, I learned a lot about business then because it was all about supply and demand, um, <laughs> with debt collection, yeah. P&L, um, you know, suppliers, uh, partnerships. It was, I learned a lot, I'll be honest with you. Um, but it was, it was kind of a risky business. And every time a police car would, you know, drive by while I was on my scooter, I always used to, you know, panic. So I thought I needed to find something a bit more sustainable. So I did a bunch of stuff. Like I worked as a babysitter. Wow. Um, you know, I worked in, in, in a removal company at one point. Um, I mean, I, I did so many different jobs. I wasn't a clerk in a, in a court. Um, and I ended up going to university, despite all odds that my teachers thought I was thick as thick as a post. Um, but got to uni, good uni, and then I think I went through the whole thing that everybody goes through, which is you know get a, get good grades at school, go to a good university, get a good degree, and then get a good job so you can work hard. And after forty years, if you're lucky, you can be made partnership or director, and then eventually retire, get the gold watch, and start enjoying life at seventy. And I just thought that was a bit weird. I thought, you know, why would I want to delay enjoying life by 50 years? Yeah, why yeah. Why not enjoying life now? And so, um, but I went down that road. I kind of got my first corporate job three days after graduating from uni. Um, you know, I got a two-one, which in England is like the second best mark you can get, which for me was exceptional. You know, it was the highest mark I got in my own personal family. And it was one of these achievements. Every time I go back to like with this peak, uh, peak, perform, uh, peak um, moment in my life, that's one of them looking at the results in the back of the library at Kent University. And then, uh, and then I went off and did this, this, this job kind of, it was amazing on paper, but very different in, in reality. And I think a lot of people might relate to that where externally it, it looked at, and felt amazing. People were thinking it was a dream job that surely this couldn't even exist. But internally I felt really out of touch with myself. It wasn't something I was enjoying. I was completely out of touch with my own values, which I didn't know words like values back then. Um, yeah. you know, it was more like, I just, I don't know, I didn't know what was wrong, but something was wrong and it definitely wasn't this, what I was supposed to do. So while I was doing that, it was basically, I was going around the world interviewing movers and shakers, like from presidents of countries to ministers, governments, uh, chairmen, CEOs of big companies and selling editorial spaces in, in, in specialized reports and newspapers like the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so I lived around the world. So I got an amazing exposure to the world. Uh, I lived in nine different countries. I was made country director by the age of 24, I think I was. I was really young. Uh, so I led a sales team, trained people in how to basically uh, engage, enroll, and convince these high executives, right? We're not talking about 
someone down the road, we're talking about people who run countries and people who run governments and people who run big, mm. big ass companies. And I was really young, but I was really good at it. And, but I hated it. it. It just didn't feel right. And so I went through a bit of a crisis. Uh, you know, I broke up my girlfriend at the time. I was living in Peru. Uh, my grandfather got diagnosed with terminal cancer. Uh, and I came back living in my parents' house, my tail between my legs and really feeling like I was a bit of a failure. Like as I was supposed to be this prodigal son who left, everybody kind of was going, oh, Mark is doing this amazing. Like my holiday was to come back home and see my family for a week. That That's well, that's well. the kind of picture of the job you can imagine, right? Like it wasn't a job I needed to escape from mm-hmm. in that sense. And um, and so meanwhile, my friend, uh, my best mate, Dennis, uh, who lived in China at the time because he was studying uh, a master's, I think, in in, in, in Shanghai, mm-hmm. said to me, you need to come over here. I think there's a business opportunity. We can um, start a suit company, like a, a tailored suit company, and we can sell them online. So I went over to Shanghai, uh, hung out with them for two weeks. We went to see the different markets and tailors. And we're like, yeah, this, and this is 2009, by the way. Um, it was like, I think it, there was maybe one other competitor called Indochino. Shout out to them because I think they're still standing. <laughs> um, and, uh, and basically the way that I said is I'm going to order a suit on Indochino. And if it's not 100% to my satisfaction, then we'll start this business. And I did, and it wasn't 100% uh, to my satisfaction. So I thought there's room, there's space to grow and uh, to make an impact. And so we started this company called Mr. Taylor. Uh, on the side of of my job, because by then I'd found a job uh, out of this amazing business school called INSEAD, uh, which helped me get out of a bit of a depression when I went through this dark time of losing my job, my identity, mm. and all that stuff. Back to my parents, um, and it was it was good fun. It was it was like a project to to focus on. Uh, the idea was to try and put ethics back into business one suit at a time. But then you know what we discovered is my my business partner, my best mate, and I had different objectives and missions, mm-hmm. and so it was it was kind of tough. We were, we were in a mingling friendship and business. Um, we're running out of money and, um, and eventually at the, the eve of his wedding, I went over to China to, for his wedding and we kind of called it there. We said, let's, let's pull the plug. But it was amazing that we, you know, I got, we got featured in the wall street journal and all global printed editions. Um, we were the only online tailored being mentioned in an article, no zero paid. We didn't even have a website. That was amazing. Learned loads from that. Um, wow. and what I learned at INSEAD at the business school was there's a thing called social entrepreneurship, which effectively is you use the principles of business, but for good. And I thought, this is amazing. It's like, it's, it's not charity, but it's not business. It's a mix. It's kind of like, how do you have a sustainable business model that enables you to have the social impact you want in the world, but also have the revenue stream so that you can keep going and be sustainable? Mm. Yeah. yeah. So that I was exposed to that, right? Like, I just thought that this is amazing. Um, and this is now 2012. Um, it was not going to sound very pioneering now. So, sorry, 2011. This is not very pioneering now. It doesn't sound like it, but back then it really was. And I thought, I had this crazy idea that I want to work in an agency, like a creative ad agency. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I reached out to a friend of mine, Andrea, who worked for a, uh, an ad agency. I remember now, it's called Anomaly. And, um, and it was a really cool ad agency. And back then, what I loved about it was they had this pioneering business model where some of their clients, instead of taking big fees, they took equity in the business. And so they wanted to work with clients they really believed in. And so they were going to become their, their kind of, you know, uh, advertising, marketing and branding. Wow arm of the business, but they would take, and I thought that was really cool. I thought that's such a, an innovative way of approaching advertising. And so I reached out to him and he basically said, look, you know, we get people asking to join us all the time. Like if you want to get my boss's attention, you better do something that stands out. And that's where my wheel started turning. And I thought, you know what? I'm never going to stand out on a conventional video CV anyway. Um, you know, I'm dyslexic. I don't like to express myself in writing. Like I, I write still to this day, but it's not my preferred medium. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so I came up with the idea of doing a video CV. And when I came up with that idea and I shared it with my friends and family, I'll be honest with you, like most people laughed. Like most people said, that's a crazy idea. 
what the hell are you talking about? Nobody does that. Who does that? It's going to be weird. You're going to be staring at a screen and it's going to get awkward. But um, my girlfriend at the time, I thought it was a good idea. My best mate, Dennis, the same. Dennis uh, uh, managed to emotionally blackmail him into helping me build a website. It was called a dream job would be nice.com. I think it's still live. And then my other childhood friend, Mike Mayu, who's a film uh, director. Uh, at the time, we used to make like some of these kind of movies. Uh, he came on board to film it and edit it. Um, and so I managed to get those two people to convince. So to convince two people to get on board. Uh, it was, I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying it just for the sake of time. It was a big emotional journey. But the truth is, um, we managed to film it. Uh, so I wrote the whole script, did everything, filmed it, edited it, and put it up online. And I didn't realize it then. I know it sounds really stupid now. Um, but when you put a video on YouTube, it's public. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what happened is really quickly went viral. Like it, it, it kind of blew. Yeah. Almost overnight. I, I forgot how many thousands we had over 24 hours. And then and it just spiraled out of control. People were tweeting Oprah, Tony Robbins. Um, and everybody online was just going, oh my God, is this for real? Like, is this a real CV? Wow. And, and eventually... Um, I think a friend of mine said, you should, you should get in touch with Movember, the Movember Foundation. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they, if, for those of you who don't know, it's an amazing organization and foundation started in, in Australia back in 2003 mm -hmm. um, to try and, and get rid of uh, prostate cancer by getting men to grow mustaches and now has evolved into mental health and physical inactivity for men. But uh, it, was an, it was a charity I loved and I grew a mustache every, every, every November for the last couple of years. And a friend said, you should reach them out. And I said, I don't have any charity background. I don't even know if there is an actual charity for itself or if it's just a movement. And so I sent a tweet to Adam Garoni, who was the CEO at the time and the co-founder. And I said, um, from one where I wrote to another, it's been an honor to serve you. And here's my video CV kind of thing. And you replied and you said, wow, great CV. Uh, where are you based? Um, are you based in London? And I replied saying, no, but I could be for the right opportunity, say work for November. And I put like a winky face. And he said, well, get in touch with, you know, and he tag someone. Uh, we might have a role opening up. And so next thing you know, and I remember this, this is in February um, yeah. 2012. Mm -hmm. I, I get a, 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 basically a tweet from Ali and Sarah, who was the country uh, manager, I think, director at the time. And they said, can you come on Friday to meet JC, the co-founder? Now, that Friday was Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. It was Friday the 14th of February 2012, I remember, because my ex at the time, my girlfriend, was flying in from Edinburgh to be with me for that weekend. And I was going to have to go to London. But she was amazing. And she said, you know, you've got to go I'll hang out with your parents. The ticket's booked anyway. You go that you need to do this. And uh, so big shout out to her. And then, so I went over to London and had a meeting with, with a co-founder. And in the middle of the meeting, he basically put, like, put his hand across the table and said, welcome to the team. Wow. Like one of these weird Hollywood moments, right? <laughs> um, that you kind of hear about, but it happened. And so then he announced the whole company, like right there. And there's like, guys, meet... You know, Rusty's my name at November. That's how people know me. It's like, hey, you know, Rusty's going to be joining. And basically, he asked me uh, to launch the foundation across European countries. Wow. And so my role was to take the foundation, to launch it in France, in Switzerland, and to pick it up in Belgium and Spain and grow it. And so um, I came back to France, quit my job. And the, the thing I forgot to mention, maybe that's relevant to the people listening, maybe to you, is that when I was in a really dark spot, mm -hmm. while I was working in Seattle and also on, on Mr. Taylor, before the whole video CV thing, and between, uh, maybe it was after the video CV, I forgot. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, basically, my mom had invited some of her childhood friends who used to live in the same kind of compound where we used to live. And, um, and they were coming from America. My mom said, look, Mark's depressed. Roya, can you fix him? And she said, Mark, Roya's a coach or something, and she'll fix you. And we laughed, and Roya was a life coach. So she was a, a CTI, a coactive trained yeah. coach. Yeah. And, um, 
And so we had a chat and she said, look, let's have a chat. Let's talk about this further. And Roya Ferdo, I always give credit to her every single time I have an opportunity because she took me on graciously as a client for two years and it changed my life. It wow. really, really did. Wow. Thanks to her, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to process my emotions, talk about my goals, no judgment, um, have a belief in myself like I hadn't had in a long time mm-hmm. and really created that safe, safe, sp- productive space. Was it before the CV or? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think it was after technically. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. technically after because I started working with her in 2011, end of 2011, and we'd released the video CV. But um, the the reason why I'm mentioning this is that I discovered coaching and thought, oh my god, this is amazing! I want to help other people the way that she helped me. So while all this was happening, while the whole video CV went live, I was training also with the Corrective Training Institute in London. Uh, it was a program that lasted six months, and it was an in-person training. You know, I think it's four weekends, yeah. three days, and like that. Um, and so I was training in the meantime while I was doing that. And so I quit my job at November, uh, in France. I didn't have a contract. This is really important because <laughs> I didn't have a contract in place in November, but I quit my job in France. And then my friends were like, uh, you don't have any security right now. Like they could just pull the plug and tell you that actually there's not a role anymore and you're screwed. And I was like, hmm, good point, but I trust this. Yeah. So I took my mom over to Australia, like kind of the pilgrim, uh, journey for a 60th and then joined November in London in 2012, became country manager there. And uh, stayed there for four years and I helped raised 2.8 million euros for men's health, got 110,000 people to take part. I won an award every single year. And the reason I mentioned this is that there was this amazing shift of like, wow, there's actually work you can do that is meaningful, purposeful, impactful that you enjoy, that you're good at and that's needed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and while this, I was still coaching, like I, I wrote a book, you know, when I, when I turned 30, I wrote a book called it's not you, it's me. I think it's still available on Amazon. Wow. Um, I ran a retreat in Morocco where I took people for a week to do, coaching, business development, personal development, while we surfed and did yoga and ate some good food and came together as a community. Mm-hmm. Um, I co-led one in Thailand. Uh, you know, all this, like there's a thousand things I did on the side that I could talk about, but just for the sake of clarity. Um, what I noticed is that as I was going into these companies, I worked for, you know, a corporate company, I worked for an education company, I worked for a charity. Mm-hmm. And I realized that no matter where there's people, there's pain. And where there's pain, there's also hope. And people struggle because it's hard to be a leader. It's hard to lead. It's a very different skill set than being good at what you do. I don't think we give enough credit and enough training to leaders. And it's a tough and lonely, vulnerable position. But also people in companies feel like they're struggling, that they're hurting, that they're not being seen, uh, understood or heard. And so I wanted to do something about it. And it started off as a weird podcast in 2015 called The Unconventionalists. Yeah. If you go back to episode one, people, you'll hear me say, Welcome to the yet-to-be-named podcast. I didn't even have a title, but I started it. Um, and it's not like today. 2015 was a very different landscape for podcasts, yeah. um, especially in the UK. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I had this kind of ambition to make a difference, help people, you know, uh, lead and inspire their people in a different way, and really that we could create a safe space for people to show up and be themselves. That was kind of the goal. And so I quit 2016. It was like a crazy move. Because people are saying, oh my God, you know, you're at this pinnacle of your career. You're going to keep on going, growing and doing an impact. And I love that. And the truth, the way that I describe it, it's a bit like if you hang out with your big brother and you love their mates and you're cool because they're amazing. But eventually you're going to have to break away and make your own friends and make your own legacy and your own path. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I did. You know, and, I do, and I do understand why people would stay. And, you know, there's parts of me that sometimes like, oh my God, I should have stayed. It would have been, mm. you know, an easier yeah. choice in that, in that sense. Yeah. But I wanted to go and carve out my own river and, and my own stream. And, and do my own thing. And so, and I've, I've had pivots and reiteration of the business. You know, it started off more of a coaching. It kind of, it was one-to-one. I did a lot of one-to-one at first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I did some group coaching. 
um, then I did some online coaching and then slowly but surely I graduated towards public speaking. And so over the last 18 months, I'd say to a year, the, the majority of my work has been to go into organizations and conferences and talk and talk about topics like how to be more human at work. Um, you know, how to be, how to, why being yourself is good for business, how to find meaning and purpose in the work we do, how to build teams who trust each other. So it was, it was more those kind of topics. And because I think I have the ability to bring depth and humor, um, like lightness and darkness at the same time. So kind of talk about heavy topic, making it important, but also making people feel good about it, you know? Yeah. Um, it worked really well. And then obviously COVID-19 happened, right? Coronavirus hit. Yeah. So public was out, out. Like there's just, wasn't, no one was booking. People were canceling and postponing. And so I quickly pivoted to uh, offering online virtual training for organizations and provide one-to-one support to their staff through my associates, as well as providing a series of programs over 90 days with different speakers wow. and, and facilitators so they could actually take care of the people remotely. So that's what I've been doing. That's what it's been a bit of a crazy journey over the last few weeks. But really, really cool. Uh, I've just yesterday delivered uh, my talk called How to Stay Connected, Optimistic, and Productive During COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And it's been really well received. It's been amazing. And and I'm really looking forward to delivering that to more companies. So that is, in a nutshell, mate, like 15 minutes later, um, how we came in. And, and, and I'll be honest, I've left out so many different stuff. Um, but the, the one thing I will say is the TEDx talk was an amazing a milestone for me mm-hmm. because it was 2017 and I just can I, can I just say a really quick story about that one what is up mindset nation I hope you guys are enjoying today's episode and we're gonna get back to this conversation very soon after thanking to our sponsors as a mission and impact driven entrepreneur thought leader visionary and change maker have you ever thought of increasing your online visibility building credibility and scaling your impact and business by starting your own podcast If you've answered this question with hell yeah, now this is your chance. According to Edison Research in the US, podcasting is one of the fastest growing medium. So if you're ready to start your own podcast, build credibility and scale your impact and business, I have good news for you. I launch a 12-week group coaching program every single month with four people where I teach how to start your own epic podcast from scratch, build credibility, and scale your online presence and business. In order for you to see that podcasting is something that you want to start, I provide a 30-minute free discovery call where we can see if podcasting is something that can help you scale your brand and business. You can book a free discovery call with me at MindsetHorizon.com forward slash free call that's again mindsethorizon.com forward slash free call or simply shoot me an email at tibor at mindsethorizon.com that's t-i-b-o-r tibor at mindsethorizon.com so mindset nation without any further ado let's get back to today's mindset transforming conversation so um Basically, I, so I got invited to go and deliver a TEDx talk at TEDx Cardiff. It's one of the big ones in the UK. It's not the biggest, but it's it's a pretty it's a pretty good one. And Cardiff, it, it was it meant a lot to me because my my mum's Welsh, and uh, you have to have some sort of Welsh uh, affinity, I think, to be able to speak there. I'm not quite sure, but anyway. So um, I got invited to speak there, 2017, and so six months out, five months out, I get the invitation and I start freaking out, panicking. Uh, <laughs> all these, things, by the way, apologies in the background if you can hear uh, our baby crying. We've got. Two- <laughs> 30 months this is this is real people this is what we're at right i'm using my iron board as my desk i'm locked up in my bedroom 
Uh, yeah, we don't yeah. have a big house or a big flat. So yeah, yeah. this is the you know, but it, it adds to the ambiance of people listening to this. They go, this is the reality of the journey. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> you might want to mention about TEDx is that I had this idea that I I wanted to do, and so I think originally my idea was what you seek is clarity, what you need is trust. I think that was like my my through line. So I built this whole talk over five months, freaking out while I'm still doing my business, growing the team, all this kind of stuff. And then, um, actually, no, I started growing the team in 2018. I think it was the year after. Anyway, so I start uh, practicing this. And then I had this idea, like 21 days out before the actual event, I had this idea that I would go every day, meet a new friend in a new location in London and practice my talk and get feedback. Wow. And it was brutal. So I did that. It was so brutal because everyone had different opinions. Mm -hmm. Every time I delivered it, it felt horrible. It felt like it didn't make any sense. It was, it felt completely crap. And so I think it was less than 10 days before the actual, I think it was about eight days. Just over a week before the actual event, I decided to ditch the entire talk. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is not my talk. Uh, I need to talk about something that feels more real to me, which is the hardship journey of being an entrepreneur that no one's talking about. Wow. The reality behind the scenes that we're all living through when we are riddled with self-doubt, when our cash flow is depleting, when our friends and family are having a great time and we're locked in for the third day without having seen daylight. Mm-hmm. Like those conversations that I was having with so many people behind the scenes, but no one's talking about in the spotlight. And, and also why this whole uh, obsession with become an entrepreneur was, was BS because what people seek wasn't to become an entrepreneur. What people seek is the feeling they hope they'll get by becoming an entrepreneur. But you can get that feeling working for a company, for a startup, building a team or starting a company mm-hmm. like that. And that's where purpose comes in. Right. So, yeah. so I gave that talk and I was really nervous because I, I just didn't have enough time to prepare. I did my best. I delivered it. It was like this emotional journey. My, my partner was there. She was pregnant with her daughter. God, I forgot that she was pregnant with her daughter at the time in the audience. My mom was there, had friends flew in mm-hmm. to be there in the audience. It was a really emotional moment. I think there was over 300 people in the audience. Wow. Um, and it, and it came out. And this is what I want to say also, um, how, how funny things are when you stand up for what you believe in and you dare to have difficult conversations. Yeah. When the first original talk version came out of that talk, I don't know why, but the, the editing company who, who edited the videos for the, for the next Cardiff had separated the video between three, it's difficult to describe it, three quarters of the screen on the left were the slides mm-hmm. and one quarter on the right was just me. And it was so weird. It looked really weird. It was like, so you would, you would see three quarters of, the, of my slides and then a little bit of me. And sometimes I'd go in and out of shot. And I replied to them and I said, I'm really heartbroken. Uh, I put in so much effort into this. Can you please ask the company to re-edit it without any of the slides? And it just needs to be the full screen of me. Otherwise, we're going to lose the emotional experience and it won't get the impact that it has. We went back and forth and I've got to give credit to the organizers. They were willing to do it. They did. And I honestly believe, hand, hand, hand on heart, the impact of my talk would have not been the same today had it been a three quarters of slides mm-hmm. and just a little bit of me on the side. Yeah. And today I think it's, it's, it's been viewed just about 800,000 times and it's been the most viewed TEDx Cardiff talk of all time. Yeah. Um, and I say this with pride because a message resonates. It's not about me. It's about the message I was trying to put out there. Yeah. Um, so thank you for asking that question. The C warning, when you ask me a question, I go off and I don't shut up for a while. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really great, and I'm 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 really enjoying uh, listening to your story and so many great you know experiences and insights. So I really liked the TEDx talk, and the reason for that was I really resonated with the story and the deeper meaning uh, that you talked about. Right, so 
that we are not looking for entrepreneurship. We are looking for this deeper yearning and purpose. Uh, we want to find that. And we can yeah. find that in the workplace. And we can find that. So it, it, it doesn't have to be entrepreneurship. It can be anywhere or anything. You right. talk about small things, bigger things. So right. It's just a feeling. That's what people need to understand. You're chasing a feeling. You're chasing... You think you're going to feel something if you do that thing or achieve that thing. I mean, that's what people need to understand. Yeah. And so if you understand what the feeling is that you're looking for, so whether that's validation, whether that's mm. um, wholeness, whether that's excitement, whether that's achievement, whether that's whatever it is, figure that out and then you can reverse engineer it and find many different ways to actually achieve that same feeling. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So it's like a means to an end, right? So maybe it's... And you, you mentioned values, for example. So maybe it's, it's more important to focus on values, like what's really important yeah. to you. For example, what I realized, and you talk about, you know, depression and loneliness, which is like, I was like, this is my life. <laughs> Mark, Mark is just talking about. <laughs> and, I mean, and, I don't, and I don't want to sound like I get this every day. I don't. But I still, to this day, three years later. I still regularly get messages from people saying, it sounds like you were talking about me. Or it's, the, you know, I cried watching this. It's exactly me or I laughed. Um, you know, and, and also anybody listening to this is like, you sometimes have to push yourself out of your comfort zone in order to serve your audience. Mm. And what's interesting about the TEDx talk, and, you know, we could have a whole conversation about the TEDx talk, TEDx talk in itself. But when I, when I first originally came up with the first draft of the script uh, a week out, um, Amri Shah, I'm going to give a shout out to him, uh, I think his company is Red Kimono, but I could be could be wrong. Anyway, he's he's one of my brother's mates originally, but we went to uni at the same time, and then we lived in South Africa at the same time when I was working there, so we became friends. And he's really amazing in the sense that he's he's completely able to kind of show up fully, use comedy, stand up, all that kind of stuff. And I gave him my talk, and he looked at me and he said, "Can I be honest?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "The start is really boring. It's not you. Like, there's a side of you that we're not seeing here that was way more fun and way more." Uh, that I've seen, that he's seen me because I used to do school plays and that kind of stuff. Um, and so he's the one who made, like, take this exaggeration of the entrepreneur and blow it up. Mm-hmm. And that's why at the start of my talk, I, you know, and, and just like a little anecdote for those listening, um, when I was practicing the start of my talk, if you go and, I'm not going to tell you what I do, but go and check out the TEDx talk, just type in Mark Maroon TEDx. But at the start of my talk, I do something. Yeah. <laughs> and when I did that in person, when I was practicing it, no one laughed, like no one. So can you imagine I was repeating like for five days in a row, I was doing this and everyone just staring at me and I'm going, I'm going to have to do this on stage. Like this is going to bomb. And then I remember my, my, my partner said, says this, that she says that the moment I stepped up on stage and I delivered my first line and she heard the first laugh in the audience, she's like, okay, I can relax now. He's going to be all right. And that was it. When I, when I kicked off and people started laughing, I was like, oh, wow. Okay, this, this is going to be all right then. Um, so don't necessarily think that because of it doesn't work with your friends and family that it won't work with your audience. Yeah, yeah. I really love the start. It's 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 really great. So and what I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into was actually purpose or focusing on the people who who might feel a little bit lost, right? So they might want to start their businesses. So they figure that this is what I want because of freedom, flexibility, and all these things that you mentioned in the talk as well. So I can imagine that there are a lot of people out there who feel disengaged in the workplace and they figure that they want to start their own businesses to have a, you know, impact, freedom, flexibility, whatever uh, the reason is. So when it comes to purpose, and you also mentioned like you were obsessed with finding your quest mm-hmm. and people might be wondering, okay, what is my purpose? What is my quest? Um, what would you tell those people? 
Yeah. So I'm going to unpack that because there's, there's a few questions in that one question. Um, yeah. So the, 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 the first one I want to address about disengaged at work. Um, so, you know, there's a Gallup study that came out when they studied between 2011 and 2012 employees around the world. They wanted to figure out what was the level of engagement. And they found that more or less 87% of employees worldwide are emotionally disconnected from their work. Wow. So it's a huge number, right? It's a huge number. It's scary. Um, scary. You're not alone. Like, I just want to say that you're not alone. Um, but here's what I've learned over the years, especially working with, with people who are in that situation. When I wrote my book, It's Not You, It's Me, originally, it started off as a blog. It was a joke where I basically said that looking for a job while being employed felt like looking for a new partner while being in a relationship. And I went off and told this whole kind of blog and people used to, you know, it was kind of funny, cheek and tone. You know, I'd say that, for example, I'd lie about going on a, on, on a holiday, whereas actually I was going to be interviewed in another country. I'd have to sneak out the office to take calls and, and whisper in the corridors and delete my emails. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was cheating. And so I made this whole analogy about how, you know, the way that we show up at work is the same way that we show up in our relationships. And so here's, here's what I have for anybody listening to this who feels disengaged at work. The first thing I would say is, um, what is the feeling of disengagement coming from? Like, why are you feeling disengaged? Now, sometimes it'll be, I don't work for the right company. I don't match the values. My boss mm-hmm. is a bit of a prick. Um, my colleagues and me, whatever it is. So figure all those things out that are actually causing the roots of the emotion, the feeling that you're, that you're going through. Then what I would say is, here's the deal. If you walk away from that situation without doing anything about it, it will show up again. The same way in our relationships that we keep on attracting the same kind of partners or the same kind of events happen over and over and over again. Until you address it, do something about it, you will relive this over and over again. So what does that mean? It means that you need to take responsibility for your journey. It means you need to find the 2% truth as to why is this your fault. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm not saying it's your fault if you're, if you're getting an abusive relationship with your, your colleagues and all this stuff. What I'm saying is what is the 2% truth and that you can do something about it. If you see yourself as a victim, you'll always act like a victim and it will be really difficult for you to get out of that situation. But if you see yourself as the driver of the seat in the car, then you've got to go, what can I do? And what I say to people is before you quit, I'm not saying don't quit, but before you quit, what are you avoiding? What is the conversation you're avoiding having? Is it to say to your boss, it's not okay to call me at midnight and shout at me. It's not okay for you to humiliate me in front of the colleagues. It's not okay for you to tell me that we need to do this work and then pull the plug last minute. What is it that you're avoiding? Address that first. And then if that still doesn't fix anything, move on, but know that you've actually had the courage to do that. It's really important because otherwise what happens, I'm seeing people who avoid this. They quit, they find a new job, it starts again. They quit, they start a new job, and it goes over and over and Mm -hmm. over again. That's Mm -hmm. number one. Take responsibility for your own journey. I wish I had known that earlier. I wish someone had told me that I believed that. Then number two, um, the concept of finding a quest is, is this, is that we're all, you know, my, my belief is that we're all hardwired to have a sense of purpose, to have a sense of meaning. If you go and watch my TEDx talk, I, I dive into this yeah. in a much deeper kind of way. I explain, I kind of give you a few kind of case studies. But the idea is, um, it doesn't matter if it's a big or a small quest. What I mean by that? So, you know, my mission is to eradicate career misery in the workplace. It's a pretty big goal. I may never see that through, but I'm not afraid of doing the work that has no end. Okay? That's mm-hmm. number one. You might want to eradicate um, hunger, uh, poverty. Uh, homelessness, uh, cancer, whatever it is, that's a big, bold, ambitious goal. And that's great. If that's you, go for it. Either join an organization who's doing that already, find people who want to help you do it. However, a lot of people feel that that's kind of a big ask and they're not quite sure where to start. So what I say is find something small enough that you can get going, but meaningful enough that you'll keep doing it. 
Meaning, uh, I use Norna Portco in, the, in my TEDx talk as an example, but she decided to paint 100 different paintings for the 100 different people she cared about and appreciated. And every year, year and a half, she drew those paintings and gave them to them. That was her quest. I'll give you an example, a concrete example during COVID-19. Uh, my brother's 40th was in March. And when we found out that France was going to be in lockdown, nobody could fly in or out, I knew that he was going to spend his 40th with his family without any mates. And I wanted to do something about it. So I reached out to all his friends, family around the world from people he knew when he was four years old to people he knew when he was at uni, school, etc. Mm -hmm. And I used every small spare moment. And by the way, my moments of time right now are so precious because I have very little of them, right? So I'm honored to be in this podcast. These, these are decisions I have to make about, okay, I've got one hour a day. What do I do with it? And so every day I would spend that hour just focusing, calling up, chasing people, getting them to send me videos. And I asked them all to send me a video to wish my brother a happy birthday. And this, I'm telling you, this took so much time, but it gave me that ambition, that focus that could take my mind away from the worries, the fears, the, all the emotions that are happening. And then I edited this video together and it's called 40 Years in 40 Minutes by 40 Mates. And on the day of his birthday, my sister-in-law, his wife, showed it to him and managed to live stream using WhatsApp video so I could see his reaction. And my brother got emotional and my brother doesn't really get emotional. He's an economist. Wow. Um, and, and that was so moving for me. And, and, and wow. that for me is an example of a micro quest. It's, it's, it's something small enough that I could get going, but it was meaningful enough that I wanted to see it through. Now you've got to find your own version of that. Like I've got friends right now, it's mm -hmm. baking bread. Like they want to know how can I bake bread for my family so that we don't have to depend on the bakers to be able to get our toast, you know, yeah. and yeah. that's their quest. Like you've just got to figure out something, something small, because here's what I know. It's, it's a domino effect. When you start finding something small that you can go after and complete, something else will show up. As soon as my 40th uh, birthday for my uh, brother project, um, I came up with another one, which was, I want to go and deliver this talk in companies about how to stay connected, optimistic, and productive during COVID-19. Mm -hmm. I wanted to really address the fact that people are talking about working from home, but we're not working from home. We are stuck at home trying to get work done during a, a freaking crisis, which is very different. And so I wanted to get that message out there. So I spent every minute I had you know, researching, looking at data, and then building a talk, uh, delivering it, building a deck, pivoting, adjusting, and then reiterating and keep doing it. And that's keeping me right now focused. Wow. wow. If people listen to this, find something that, that, that you want to, and don't judge it. Don't overthink it. You might have a thousand ideas, pick one. You can go back and do the other, like have an ideas jar. Like write down all the ideas you could do, put them in a jar, shake it, pull one out, you do that. No questions asked. And then when you're done, you go back and you pull another <laughs> one. Okay. But like, like, for example, I'll give you another example. A friend of mine who I've been mentoring as well with his business, Arthur Paulins, he's the founder of Breathwork Academy. You know, I told him, look, you're never going to have as many eyeballs and attention as right now. Everyone's stuck at home. Everyone's on the devices. We're not being distracted by movies, going to the pub, going for, to the gym or what have you. Yeah, yeah. How about every single day at 9 a.m. or whatever time you want to choose, you do a 15-minute breathwork session for free for everyone around the world? Yeah, yeah. And look, he started that a week ago. There was maybe 17 people tuning in. I checked this morning, he had 53 people tuning in. That's 53 people around the world, from Mexico to Sydney to UK, tuning in to, 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 to his breathwork session. Then he invites those who want for a longer period of time on Wednesdays wow. at 6 p.m. for an hour. It's five pounds. Everyone can afford five pounds, hopefully, these days, yeah. if you're listening to this podcast in some way, shape, or form to get an hour session. And so he's being of service. And, that's, that's, and he's telling me that these daily 15 minutes, are like the most fulfilling 15 minutes of his day because he's found a purpose. He's found a micro quest to give back in some shape, way, or form. So no matter what you're thinking, don't judge it. Mm. Go for it. And then you'll learn because I'm telling you, it's a compound effect. Once you start doing that, you start doing more. 
you know, there's, there's, there's this great quote I often use in my talks about, um, Admiral, I forgot his name now, uh, who wrote, who wrote a book and also gave a talk at the Texas university called, you know, make your bed, change the world. And effectively is do one thing in the morning is to make your bed because once you make your bed, that's one task you've completed. Yeah. And once you've completed one task, it's much easier to complete a second task. And it's, and by the end of the day, you've completed a series of tasks that started with you making your bed. So, so you just got to find that thing. And the last point I want to say is before you quit your job to start your multi-million dollar business that you think you're going to be building, uh, don't would be my advice straight up. If you can't find the time, uh, your spare time over the weekends, mornings, and evenings to focus on a passion project that you want to see through, you'll never do it when you're full-time. Mm -hmm. Because when you're doing it full-time, your reptile brain kicks in, all your fears and insecurities come up, and you go, oh my gosh, how am I going to pay rent? How am I going to pay my mortgage? How am I going to feed my kids? Uh, and there's no way you can be creative than, than rather than when if you've got a salary coming in. The way that I used to see it is all my employers throughout my life paid for my side projects. Mm -hmm. Because I would give them some work, they'd give me a salary, and some of that money I would use to reinvest and re-inject in business ideas. And so right now, the best position you can be is if you're employed and you want to find out how to launch another business, go for it, but do it on the side. And eventually, once you start validating your idea, getting money exchanged, and seeing that you're getting more clients than you can cope with, then you transition out, go part-time in your job, and then eventually you leave. But I, I'm not a believer now anymore than saying, you know, quit and go all in because I think that's a, I think that's a risky advice because we're not all built the same way. And I think if you give advice for everyone and you don't listen to me, by the way, listen to this, you shouldn't listen to me. You should listen to yourself and figure it out for yourself, but really take the time to validate your idea. Don't, don't think it's a great idea. Make sure it's a good idea that people need people are willing to pay for. It's important enough that people mm -hmm. can relate to that. Yeah. And that'd be my advice. Yeah, that's amazing, Mark. Uh, you know, something came to my mind, which is, uh, you must have heard about this the concept of Ikigai, the, the Japanese yeah, reason yeah. for meaning. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, what you love, what you're um, good at, what the world needs, and what, what you can be paid for. That's a good yeah. check to, I don't know, to validate a, an idea, maybe. And also what you're saying is to, to, to go out with the idea and... Uh, it shouldn't be just a hy hypothesis, but you should like, you know, prove it. So experience the idea with other yeah. people. Yeah, the, 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 uh, people weren't listening. If you're interested in launching a business, Lean uh, Lean Startup by Eric Ries. Mm. Um, effectively, he 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 uses uh, supply chain management principles from Japanese uh, automobile manufacturers and applies it to the startup world to basically say that you you should be able to start businesses without any. Uh, assumptions because everything we have are assumptions so the assumption you have that someone somewhere cares about having uh, a coach that or a business or a service that's going to solve x problem is an assumption and you've got to deal with everything you have as an assumption and your job is to test and validate that assumption yeah so the risky part is that you start losing the gut feeling um which which is you know you could argue is something that's quite important but the truth is this this is what's going to happen to most of you listening to this is that the sexy part of starting a business is coming up with creative ideas, looking for logos, building websites, coming up with copy, telling people you're on this big ambitious goal. That's the sexy stuff. The thing that no one tells you is that running a business is not sexy. I don't care who you are, I don't care what you're selling to people. You've got to fall in love with the with the grit of starting and running a business. The mm. the 80% that nobody sees that you can't put on Instagram. The, the 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 persistent sales calls, the reaching out, the, the over-delivering, the dealing with refunds, dealing with all this stuff that no one tells you about is part of that. And the reason why I'm on a mission to share the ugly and the and the and the beauty of business is that 
more people need to know what they're getting in so that when it hits them in the face, they don't feel like they're, they're alone and it's there and it's them. Yeah. It's just it. Uh, you know, Tim Ferriss said this, entrepreneurship is a full contact sport. And if you're not willing to get in the ring and get smacked in the face, get knocked out and then having to get back up and do it all over again, don't even bother like straight up. And I, and I say this with no judgment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think some people would be way better at working on an organization and being part of a team and be much more fulfilled and happy and satisfied and have a bigger impact doing that than struggling on their own trying to build a company when they're not willing to, to learn and do what it takes. And I say this without judgment, even though it sounds like mm. it, it's just a different skill set. Some of us are great at math. Some of us aren't. Like if you don't like maths, don't go and become an accountant. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's the same thing. Yeah. Like you wouldn't judge someone like that. So it's the same thing with entrepreneurship. Don't think entrepreneurship is hip and cool because it's not. It can be. I wouldn't do anything differently, <laughs> which is the irony of me saying this. Um, but I just want to give permission to people to say, it's okay for me to not want to be an entrepreneur. It's okay for me to not be an entrepreneur. And even if you try and it doesn't work out, that's great. Go back and work for an organization that where your values can be honored, where you can match the corporate company that is going to be who you want to be mm. and do right yeah. so like it'll be a transformation journey no matter what but i think we just need to have a, a balance of the conversation especially online around this glorification of entrepreneurship and this you know bravado founders and all this stuff which i think is you know bs but that's another conversation <laughs> yeah totally i love it thank you so much for sharing and mark i want to be respectful of your time so i wanted to make sure that uh, we talk about your podcast. So what can people, you know, um, expect when they tune in? Uh, a couple of words about the Ministry of Purpose, which is um, going to be launched. Um, yeah. Seen it, so. yeah, especially change. So real real quick, for those of you who enjoy podcasts, go and check out my podcast called The Unconventionalists. I've got 15, well, 14 seasons now. I've uh, been doing it since 2015. 140 episodes. We've got some amazing guests. Wow. Uh, from lists, um, all the way to Chris Gillibo to JP Sears. Um, and, uh, we got, you know, anyway, so the, the thing you'll expect is real. Like if you enjoyed my vibe today, if you thought I spoke a bit of truth, then that's what the podcast is about. It's just, it's real shit. Like I just get people on <laughs> normally you might hear of or know about, but you might've never heard that side of their story or, or they might've never opened up in that way. I've had people cry. I've had people like share like, like real deep stuff. Um, and I think we just need to have more real conversations. So if you enjoy that, go and tune in. Um, yeah. and then ministry of purpose, yeah, basically ministry of purpose is going to effectively help people, um, especially, you know, organizations and entrepreneurs, um, build a future worth striving for. So yeah. how do you come up with a mission and vision that gets people excited. And then how do you get people to sustain that momentum as you go through it? So we're offering to organizations right now, beta testing in the background, one-to-one -one coaching for their employees, uh, mentoring and coaching for their for their leaders, uh, group sessions around how to define and come up with an exciting vision that gets you out of bed in the morning. So it's it's everything about what I just talked about, basically. How do you, how do you come up with a quest yeah. and make it real? Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. And, and you've also prepared a freebie for the listeners and there's a podcast masterclass as well. So would you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so anyone listening, um, I'm more than happy to give you 40% off my podcast course. Um, so I don't know what you want to call it. We could give a code like mindset 40, if that, if that's helpful. Um, so they're going to go and check it out. The unconventionalist.com. It's an online podcast platform, which basically over the last three years, I've helped over 400 people launch their podcasts and I've learned a lot along the way in terms of what gets in the way. And let me give you a spoiler. It's not the technical stuff that you think it is. Uh, 80% people think it's the technical stuff that's getting in the way. And I'm telling you it's less than 5% of the reason. 
The 95% is what I get into, which is like what interesting in your podcast, it's like the mindset, the interferes, all that kind of stuff. So it's a really cool online virtual class. I basically did a full day session, got a professional company to come and film it. We edited it, added some bonuses. People can go and get it uh, online and I'm happy to give 40% off to your audience. I think we can do Mindset 40. Would that work for you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mark, that's amazing. Yeah, and then, and then people who are not interested in launching a podcast but want to get a bit more, if you go to theunconventionalist.com and click on start here, I think it is, you can get access to my web series. It's three mini, three videos um, that are going to enable you to turn your mess into your message. So if you're confused, you don't know what you want to be standing for and you don't know who, what you should be talking about to the people you want to serve, go and do that. Um, and then if I want to yeah. be extra, extra kind and extra juicy, you can also get my 10-day personal branding challenge, um, which you can put in your show notes. That's, that's to help anybody who's stuck uh, and want to and have a bigger profile, have a bigger impact to raise the income, influence, um, and impact. Yeah, that's amazing. Mark, thank you so much for sharing. I always uh, have a last question, which is, you know, what is your vision? Maybe I should ask purpose. I don't know. Like, where are you heading? How do you see the future? Yeah, it's to, it's to create a world where I'd be proud and know that my kids are safe to work in any organization because the leaders there would take care of them the way that I would take care of them. And so I could die in peace. Wow, Mark, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed this. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Debo, and good luck to you and, and good luck to anybody listening. We're going to get through this, and that's what Optimistic is about, believing in a future that is positive without being the den denial of the reality of the challenge right now. But we'll get through this together and we'll look back and become stronger, 100%. Yeah, man. Amen to that. Thank you so much. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Mindset Horizon podcast. For more information and resources based on today's discussion, be sure to head to our website, MindsetHorizon.com, where you'll also have the ability to join the Mindset Nation community for more insight and empowerment to help you reach your full potential. That's all available exclusively on MindsetHorizon.com.